You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back, Baptists. And also Presbyterians, we're happy to have you. (laughs) It's cool you're Um, here. You know me, I am your bearded Baptist friend, uh, Justin. With yet another episode of theology that has been distilled, I am joined here, of course, by none other than the luxurious, the handsome, the deep-voiced Eric. It's good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank oh you. man, very it's, luxurious. Oh, it's, it's so I, I'm 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 excited to have you back, uh, Blake. Mm. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> you know, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! It is good to be here again. Uh, I want to tell everyone it. it I am tired. Mm. It has been a long couple of weeks. Mm. I am physically, mentally exhausted. You know, and I'm even feeling it spiritually these days. Mm. And you know, Blake and Justin, you guys, you you called me up, or well, you texted me. I was like, hey, you want to be on this episode with me or with us? And I, I don't know. I just. Feeling tired, but I couldn't resist. You guys are irresistible, so I just couldn't help myself, even though I'd rather be taking a nap right now. That was very (laughs) gracious of you. (laughs) Nice. It's time for us to draw out some tasting notes from uh, this whiskey tonight. Uh, So what is in our tulip-shaped glasses? Well, (laughs) we got some Lagavulin 16 here. Yeah, we do. Keeping up with the theme. Yeah. Eric is the, the distiller and, and someone oh, who has man. a bit of a history with this whiskey. What can you tell us about Lagavulin 16? Oh, where'd my notes go? <laughs> there they are. Same. <laughs> well, uh, so it is part of Diageo's classic malts lineup. Uh, Diageo is the company that owns Lagavulin distillery. It is aged 16 years. It's, it's really Lagavulin's flagship whiskey. Uh, it's what they're most well known for. Uh, This one is bottled at 43% ABV or 86 proof. Um, Rumor has it that this does have artificial coloring in it and is very likely chill filtered. Nonetheless, it is a fantastic whiskey. And what Blake was alluding to, if you listen to the first episode in this uh, tulip series, the tea, uh, I told everyone that my very first whiskey that I ever had many, many, many moons ago was uh, Lagavulin 16 year and it was love at first sip. So uh, I have a strong nostalgic connection to this whiskey. It's it's a great whiskey. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we're drinking. That Any is. Other notes you guys want to throw in? Well, I was going to say Justin and I have a little bit of history with this whiskey as well, and so does this podcast. Actually, even though we've never officially sipped it until today, uh, episode forty-seven of Distilling Theology. But Justin, Wait, you want to? F- <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there was a time long ago, <laughs> <laughs> many moons ago, as it were. Uh, that I was not a whiskey drinker, uh, at the time, uh, I was primarily just drinking uh, craft beer and then Blake and I reconnected 
and he decided to come for a visit and bring some whiskey and really take me on a uh, a tour of the world on my taste buds, as it were. And he brought a number of different whiskeys, um, scotches, bourbons, uh, some rye, a whole bunch of stuff. And we tasted a lot of different things, and it was great. Uh, but we decided to... I had never had any smoky or peaty um, scotch before. And so he, of course, brought Lagavulin 16 with him uh, to really baptize me, as it were. Oh. <laughs> so I could make a credible profession of... He, he immersed <laughs> you in Lagavulin 16. That is a lot of Lagavulin 16. It I mean, so much. I know he didn't sprinkle you with it, because sure no, that's not that proper. <laughs> I mean, actually, in this, th- I, I would argue that, that that would be a proper administration of the Covenant of Whiskey. Um, but I, I just looked up in the pub, so we live-streamed this tasting um, on April 12th, 2018. And we yeah. launched uh, the Distilling Theology podcast in October of 2019. So it was almost a year and a half that we sat on this idea before we did anything. And now it has been over a year of this podcast. And uh, I'm just very excited that we finally, we finally made it back to Lagavulin. And so uh, I actually have that video pulled up. I'll send you the link, Justin, for us to watch back yeah. later and laugh at ourselves. Because um, so, we weren't, so- Yeah. This Lagavulin we're drinking then is was distilled long, long, long before you guys even had this idea. Yeah, you guys were well, it was the impetus. While, it was, but I mean, where were you guys at 16 years ago? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Gosh, when oh, this was distilled, literally started aging. Yeah, I was yeah. 16 years ago. What we're drinking right now. Four, where were you when it was made? I was 14. I was young. I was a kid. <laughs> what was I doing at 14? I was probably at youth camp. Flirting with Christian girls. <laughs> yeah. I was I was homeschooled at this at this age in my life, so I was probably uh, studying hard and then like going on lots of field trips. We'd go do all kinds of. We interesting know that things. homeschoolers don't study, Blake. <laughs> hey yo! All right, yeah. So let's get into the the aroma on this whiskey uh, that is drawing me irresistibly into the glass. Ooh. It's hard to resist this whiskey. It's impossible, I'd say. <laughs> Granted, oh, there is the, you, you must be you know made alive to the flavor profile before True. you can really you know enjoy yeah. it. Because if you yeah. haven't been made alive to it, it's repulsive to you, and you by nature do not desire it. You love it or you hate it. You must first be regenerated <laughs> unto a saving faith in this whiskey. Regeneration precedes the faith and enjoyment of this whiskey. <laughs> Easy. Yeah. I think this is the most I mean, we've actually integrated our theology discussion <laughs> for the week into uh, our whiskey tasting. This is impressive. Oh, is this not the discussion? I was th- <laughs> we have to talk about it more? These aren't the droids. We just have some whiskey and we'd all go to bed. It's late. <laughs> yeah. No, no, so I, um, yeah. Yeah. What are, you, what are you guys getting on the nose? It's very, very delicious smelling. <laughs> get, I mean, yeah. you got get charcoal. You, got, you obviously have like the, the iodine. That you mm-hmm. get, but there's also like, I don't know. There's some sweet spices. Yeah. Some vanilla even. Yeah. I'd say there's a lot of, um, caramelized sugars. There's a lot of brown mm. sugar in there. Yeah. Um, uh, there's, a like a very mature sherry. Mm. Yeah. And toffee. There's a, yeah. a toffee yeah. note, note to it. And, um, mm, there's a, just like a, Almost a dry rubbed pork belly. 
I was going to say there's something, there is something meaty. It's sweet. It's sweetened. Mm -hmm. And I am, so I, I think I am going to stand corrected, uh, by what you pushed back on a couple of weeks ago in episode eight. I think you're right. I think the eight is a little bit meatier and drier and, um, even a little smokier than this in some ways. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably, probably like you said, then it was, it was probably the younger nature of the whiskey where the older it is, it kind of mellows a bit, <clears throat> Yeah, but it's still really refined. Um, yeah. The, the smoke is more intense on the eight. Um, also, I feel like the sweetness is more of a tropical fruit note rather mm-hmm. than this has like a really rich, like toffees and caramels and, and sugar, yeah. like caramelized sugars. And um, it, yeah, there it, it's it's a much deeper, richer sweetness and not mm-hmm. as fruity and light um, yeah. in characteristic, which I know last time I was on, I said that I preferred the uh, eight over the 16. And that probably still holds true. I mean, I've, I've had them together enough times, but sitting here tonight drinking the 16, I don't want to be drinking any other whiskey right now. Mm. This is just the aroma on this is perfect right now. It smells really good. There is something about like, a good, rich, smoky scotch, though, that there's there's just nothing like it. Um, so on that note, let's taste it and uh, get some tasting notes. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. There's, al- there's almost like a rich um, coffee cake with lots mm. and lots of, like, cinnamon crumble on top of it at first. Mm. And then saltiness comes in and, like, a honey and floral, like a carnation... Uh, or baby's breath, kind of like a light um, floral note with the salt that comes in after. I yeah, there, there's a lot of that like mix of like malt and sherry sweetness, and like just it's 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 very big and and I don't know, it it really is thick and like takes up the mouth. Mm. Um, and then and then you get the billowing smoke, mm. yeah. which kind of kind of sets it off as it disappears. <laughs> oh man yeah you're left with a good amount of smoke i feel like yeah. that really comes mm-hmm. in at the finish it starts off really really sweet and viscous like you were saying justin yeah. which is surprising given this is only 43 percent yeah um, abv yeah. there's a lot of residual oils um from mm-hmm. the aging 16 years even if they are chill filtering which i think they are um mm-hmm. there's still a, a good amount of residual oils left behind to be sufficiently mouth coating in its you texture it's left very behind nice. What? <laughs> Just kidding. You say left uh, behind. Yeah. <laughs> oh uh, no! See, my my reaction to this when I when I had the first sip was, "Praise God from whom all blessings flow." <laughs> I was just like, "Man, this this whiskey just makes grown men sing," uh, because wow, this is um, well, it's, it finishes pretty pretty good. I mean, you, you have like you have like oh man, almost like dates. Mm-hmm. Um, you went on a there's date. There's that caramel. There, Tell us yeah, about it. Like like going on a date. <laughs> <laughs> it was with Blake. <laughs> a Blake date. Bro, <laughs> Blake dates. Apparently, this is a musical <laughs> episode. <laughs> um, oh, but man. then uh, I'm getting on the finish. I get a lot more vanilla than I did uh, than I do up front. Like mm. as a, as I've had a second or third sip. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of spice. Mm. I'm enjoying it. You know, there's um, there's also a hint kind of in the beginning of the palate as it starts to transition to the saltiness. There's a an orange citrusy note, not like um, uh, orange zest, but like orange marmalade, like a sweet mm-hmm. orange 
um, jam almost yeah. in there. It's, it's really sweet on the front end. I agree, Justin. There's there's a, a healthy amount of vanilla on the finish with that smoke. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. man, and it, it, there's a, that meatiness comes back at the end too. It's a great whiskey. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's uh, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and to your point from the eight year, it's like how much better could it be if they weren't so restrictive on the proof and if they didn't mm-hmm. chill filter and add like if they just let it be what it is. Um, but even with all those restrictions, how amazing is this yeah. whiskey? It's so that's, good. That's one of the things I know that you guys didn't taste the uh, the twelve year during mm. this series. Yeah. But if you ever get a chance, um, I've had a couple opportunities to taste the twelve year. And it's fantastic. It's uh, a cask strength version of Lagavulin at 12 years old. So you get, oh man, there's so much oil to it. it, it it's everything turned up to 11 or, or turned up to 12, let's say, since it's the 12 year. <laughs> um, but man, I would love to have one of their 16 years um, at cask strength. You know? Oh yeah. It would be amazing. Oh my gosh. Granted, next, if I find a bottle of 12 years somewhere, I will unconditionally elect to purchase it. <laughs> says, you won't be able to resist it if you see it on the shelf regardless of what's in your bank account you cannot resist oh. picking the, bottle of that. <laughs> the perseverance of the taste buds so guys if you haven't been able to tell yet <laughs> we're speaking on irresistible grace this evening um, <laughs> we are continuing on with the tulip series um, we have covered total depravity unconditional election limited atonement and now we are on to the I can't wait to talk about it oh. so <laughs> irresistible grace mm. uh, but before that before we dive right in uh, we're going to open as we do as per usual with some prayer from the valley of vision our uh, favorite baptist on the show is going to read <laughs> for us all right on page this one. 90 is called Christian Calling. O Lord God, the first act of calling is by thy command and thy word. Come unto me, return unto me. The second is to let in light, so that I see that I am called particularly, and perceive the sweetness of the command as well as its truth, in regard to thy great love of the sinner, by inviting him to come, though vile, in regard to the end of the command, which is fellowship with thee, in regard to thy promise in the gospel, which is all of grace. Therefore, Lord, I need not search to see if I am elect or loved, or if I turn, thou wilt come to me. Christ mm. has promised me fellowship if I take him, and the Spirit will pour himself out on me, abolishing sin and punishment, assuring me of strength to persevere. It is thy pleasure to help all that pray for grace and come to thee for it. When my heart is unsavory with sin, sorrow, darkness, hell, only thy free grace can help me act with deep abasement under a sense of unworthiness. Let me lament for forgetting daily to come to thee and cleanse me from the deceit of bringing my heart to a duty because the act pleased me or appealed to reason. Grant that I may be salted with suffering, with every exactment tempered to my soul, every rod excellently fitted to my back to chastise humble break me let me not overlook the hand that holds the rod as thou didst not let me forget the rod that fell on christ and drew me to him Mm. amen Mm. 
I apologize if I was scattered there. <laughs> my that wife was, was texting me a couple times while I was trying to read it, and I kept hearing it in my headphones. <laughs> so, hey, honey, I know you're listening. You were, you texted me right when I was reading that, so thanks. <laughs> that was All great. Right. Anyway. good. Yeah, so tonight we're talking about the doctrine of irresistible grace, which I think, like much of the tulip acrostic, can be misconstrued and misrepresented. Um and so we want to take some time tonight to dive into it. But initially, I just have this question of, and I'm not going to necessarily say that we answered it because I want to dig into some of the confessions and some text here, but just something for us to bear in the back of our mind. Ultimately, if we're talking about resistible grace, what are we saying? We're saying we can resist the drawing of the Holy Spirit. So if, we're, if, if that's what we're saying, if, if we're saying grace is resistible, well, who are we resisting? But Blake, who can mm-hmm. resist his will? Right. Why yeah. does he find fault? Oh, you jumped into Romans nine. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I, I think I think there's two questions, Blake. I think that's that's <laughs> one a big one. Uh, yeah. Who is it that we're resisting? What does that mean to resist that that person, mm. um, the Holy Spirit? But also, uh, what kind of grace are we resisting? Because this often comes up in the conversation, which I'm sure we'll probably get to. Yeah. But um, the type of grace, whether it's saving grace or mm. um, prevenient grace that, that um, some would like to apply to to people. I don't see it in scripture, but we can get to that. So um, I think that's an important thing too, is what is the grace that we're talking about that yeah. can or cannot be resisted? Sure. Yeah. I'm going to pick up here in Westminster Confession, chapter 10, article one, which reads, all those whom God hath predestined unto life and those only he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone, giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. So before I go any further, there's so much packed into that. I know the London Baptist statement really is, is very, very similar. Um, I guess we just go like line by line because this is intense. Obviously, we've talked in the past couple of weeks about God's unconditional election, his predestining unto life, the limiting mm-hmm. atonement, those only uh, to whose he's pleased. But this line here about in his appointed and accepted time, um, I think is is important uh, and also effectually call by his word and spirit, right? So what are we saying there is that in God's timing, in his way, in his time, he will call the elect to himself effectually because the spirit will make the gospel, the, the preached word efficacious uh, and produce the, the fruit of regeneration uh, leading unto faith in the believers. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that like, because I know that that gets complicated, right? People talk about regeneration preceding faith, but I think this uh, in many ways are, summarizes what we're talking about when we say that. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. I think the Westminster right here nails it. And I think we'll see, you know, just as we go, I, I know that there's some verses we'll probably get to that, that mm. will show that, you know, we believe as a gift of God. Regeneration, you know, a heart of flesh must necessarily precede us doing anything that can please God. I mean, you know, I think we talked about this back in the uh, episode on total depravity, but you know, Romans eight, um, those in the mm-hmm. flesh cannot please God. Those who are still dead in their trespasses 
cannot please God. So it's only after we've been given grace, grace that, mm-hmm. as we'll see, we cannot resist a saving grace of a regenerate heart. Um, only then can we have faith and, and we will have faith, you know, and mm-hmm. a regenerate heart can't help but have faith, which, you know, that's a, we'll get there. <laughs> well, I think when we properly understand the rest of the acrostic up to this point, the only mm-hmm. logical possibility would be irresistible grace. Um, mm-hmm. Because we recognize if we're dead in our sin, um, we are unable to do anything that is pleasing to God. Uh, Responding uh, proactively to God in a way that we can't would, of course, be pleasing to him. Um, Mm. And so, and then we add to that what we talked about uh, last week, which was the the limited or definite atonement, um, being a specific group of people that God has chosen for himself. if all of those things are true, the only logical conclusion by which uh, that would be accomplished would be as if the grace that God provided to his people uh, was done so in such a way that his people will definitely respond to that grace, mm-hmm. um, which we'll get to, but we see in Scripture as well. Yeah. But I like that. The last line of that section in the Confession says, mm-hmm. uh, you know, effectually drawing them to Christ Yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. And that is to what you were talking about, Eric, of regeneration, of being made alive, of someone who has this heart of stone being given a heart of flesh. And so it's not as though you're dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. You come willingly, freely, because your desires have changed. This gets to um, what you guys ta- what we talked about in total depravity again. Like we lack the moral ability. We don't. We have total moral inability uh, to choose yeah. God, and yet in this act of saving grace, God makes us willing. He He mm-hmm. changes our heart. He changes the disposition and affections, and we'll get there as we get into some of the texts. I, I've, yeah. I've heard it said um, that the work of the Spirit, the nature of the work of the Spirit is to change our nature, mm. and that's what's going that's on. And I think it, yeah. I think now is a good time to make a distinction between the different types of grace we're talking about. Yeah. Um, you have a saving grace that regenerates the heart of the believer. That's what we're talking about. But the, uh, the other one is uh, Arminians sometimes like to talk about what's called prevenient grace. Um, I, I don't see anywhere in scripture where that is, but this type of grace is um, such that God gives this, this grace to all mankind so that all might be able to believe if um, people choose to believe it's um Back in our, I think it was our Harmati, Harmart, I can't talk, Harmartiology. Har, <laughs> one of you guys say it for me. Do it. or I'm gonna, Harmartiology? There it is. Dang it. I was hoping you guys would. Well, Mr. Brockle. Then I wouldn't feel so thing. bad. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, that, on that episode, um, you know, we talked about the, the fourfold state of man. I think it was that mm. one. It was another one. And, yeah. and, and as Calvinists, we understand that man started out in their state of innocence when in Adam in the garden, then man fell into the state of nature where mm-hmm. he's unable to please God. Whereas before man was able to please God or unable, Adam was, was free to choose. He was um, created with that freedom. But then after the fall, man can only uh, choose death. You know, our mm-hmm. will is bound to sin like we talked about, but then with uh, the saving grace of God, with a regenerate heart, we now enter what's known as the state of grace, the third mm-hmm. state prior to, you know, the state of glory, uh, when we are, are glorified. But that third state is where Christians reside now because we've been mm-hmm. given a new heart. 
And prevenient grace is almost as if, uh, I mean, they do, most Armenians don't believe in that fourfold state, but this idea of prevenient grace is this grace that kind of, it's just spread out over everybody. Everybody's got it equally. Um, and it takes man back to that state of innocence that Adam was in. Right. So they'll say, man, yes, man fell, um, into this state of nature or state of sin, but then by God's prevenient grace, he gives, he gives us the ability to choose either one way or the other. And based on what we were talking about, like Justin, you said, all of the, uh, the rest of the acrostic, the letters before this necessitate the I, but if we work our way backwards, I mean, the T is also necessary here. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't, we don't see man, we don't see anywhere in scripture just um, where God describes man as being in this state of innocence where they can choose one way or the other to go. We haven't been, been given grace. We're either, as we saw earlier, we're bound to sin, we're slaves of sin, or we're slaves to Christ. We're made alive. We're either dead in our trespasses, or we're made alive. It's You're not in the in-between. And so, sorry, that's a long way around to, to ultimately say, when the Spirit works in us, He changes our will. And that's why, Blake, like you said, nobody is dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom when when the spirit changes our will we can't resist him because we don't want to resist him his grace is irresistible Mm -hmm. because once that grace is applied sovereignly to the sinner god can choose whomever he wills to apply Mm -hmm. that grace to you but once it's applied the the now um regenerate sinner doesn't want to resist the grace Mm -hmm. of the spirit right Mm -hmm. so that's why it's irresistible because our natures are changed. Our will is changed. Um, I, I think it's important here though, to note that we're not saying all of grace is totally irresistible. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we can look through scripture. We can see in John, for example, um, when Stephen was uh, indicting the unbelieving audience saying, you always resist the Holy spirit as your fathers mm-hmm. did. We do see that there are instances of grace being resisted, but I think if anything, what that actually does is um, necessitates irresistible grace in this way. Um, mm. the, en- the enmity of the human heart is most virulent at the point of supreme revelation of God's glory. So it's so deep-seated, our persistence, you know, um, uh, away from God and his persistence uh, to save his people. Um, it, it, it's like because of our resisting of grace that irresistible grace must exist in order to draw us to himself mm-hmm. um so it's it's really it's really ironically i think this idea that okay we do resist god's grace in our nature by nature mm-hmm. and therefore because of that irresistible grace then exists in order to save anyone because otherwise we will continue to just resist his grace yeah when there's another term that gets used for it. Um, but again, it messes up the acrostic. So if we change limited atonement to definite atonement, we change total depravity to radical corruption, although we can preserve that one a little easier with total inability. <laughs> uh, if you change irresistible grace to effectual calling, but that's really mm-hmm. what we're saying, right? Is that the, the yeah. work of the spirit is effectual or it, it has its desired effect and um, it's not it's not left wanting. And that comes partly from, from Westminster 10.2 here. Uh, this effectual call of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man, just in case, you know, we were confused on that from the last couple of weeks, <laughs> who is altogether passive therein to what you were saying, Eric, 
until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. Um, and so I, I think effectual calling is probably a more helpful term, even though irresistible grace fits the acrostic. And, and again, that's the thing. Sproul would, would talk about this, where it's like acrostics are great little tools for memorization, but they can become problematic if you don't actually understand the doctrines. It's very easy to argue against the, the sound of total depravity or limited atonement or irresistible grace or even perseverance of the saints if you don't actually understand what they mean um, yeah. or the biblical yeah. implications. Yeah, the confusion, I think, of those who don't embrace um, this understanding of soteriology, I think the confusion lies with with this acrostic. And, and you know, they'll say irresistible grace. Well, so um, people are resisting God or, or wanting to resist God. They don't want his grace, yet they can't help it. As Blake, as you put it, they're being dragged, kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we were talking about, um, about our natures being changed is that no, no, we're not kicking and screaming. We want it. But Justin, you were saying that this, this effectual grace was necessary because we, uh, as sinners in our fallen state, resist God all the time. Yeah. You know, we, we are, and en- we have enmity with God. We are his enemies. We resist him. And so it takes a sovereign work, a unilateral mm-hmm. work that right. is unopposed by us, can't be opposed by us. Uh, where our heart is changed whether we asked for it or not, which we didn't. We did not ask for it because we were enemies right. of God. But once our heart is changed, um, mm. we can't resist that change. We, right. It's an effectual change by the Spirit. Uh, God mm. does as he pleases. And right. once that change happens, um, yeah, of course, like we're not resisting God right. at all in any way. So, you're, yeah. Yeah, if we're in a position where we are both morally and spiritually in uh, in a place of impossibility in terms of coming to Christ apart mm. from the father drawing, right? The father mm. must act first. And when the father acts, if all things happen according to the will of God mm. <laughs> and he acts in the, with the intention of saving you, mm. um, who's going to resist God's will, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, Romans 8, 7 through 9, which Eric was referencing earlier and we've talked about before, but it says, uh, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, or it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So like the, the sinful carnal mind, not only is it at enmity with God, it can't even be subjected to the law. Uh, so then mm-hmm. they that are in the flesh cannot please God, right? So if we're in the flesh, there's nothing we can do to please God, but ye, and this is Paul writing to the believers, ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. I just realized that the notes I copied for these are all from the KJV. Because <laughs> I was I was using um, uh, reformstandards.com, which is where I copy the confessions from. And then they have the references from relight.app, which is a great resource. But relight.app is in KJV. So just notice that. That's fun. Uh, but I wanted to pick up real fast in Westminster 10.4. We'll come back to 10.3 because I think it's really important. But 10.4 is relevant to what we're talking about right now. Uh, it says that others not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the word. So that's that what we hear. We talk about the public proclamation of the gospel, which 
we're supposed to freely offer the gospel and publicly proclaim the word of Christ, right? Like that's our calling as Christians, um, go into all the earth, right? And and these may have some of the common operations of the spirit. We'll get into this when we talk next week and, and dig into Hebrews 6, right? About the um, being a uh, recipient of the benefits in many ways. Uh, but here the confession turns, yet they never truly come unto Christ and therefore cannot be saved. Much less can men not professing the Christian religion be saved in any other way whatsoever, be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of that religion they profess and to assert and maintain that they may is very pernicious and to be detested. So that speaks very strongly against a big trend within um, broad evangelical denominations of like, well, you know, it's a trend that I've seen crop up in an uncomfortable number of places. This like all roads lead to God or like, well, you're just, you know, like this is just a different path, but we're all heading the same way. And it's like, no, no, like Jesus is, he's radically inclusive in that it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your race, your gender, your age, uh, your crimes, all can come to Christ. But at the same time, Jesus is the only way. There is no other way by which men may be saved. I don't know that I love that particular section of the confession, even though it's, it's intense, (laughs) but it's good. Um, and 10.3 is also very encouraging to me, um, which says, Elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit who worketh when and where and how he pleaseth. So also are all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. So what this is not saying is that uh, baptized babies are automatically saved. Um, it is not <laughs> saying that... Um, you know, you don't have to believe the gospel to be saved. What it is saying, however, is that God in his sovereignty and his grace can elect individuals who externally maybe don't have the means. Uh, maybe they, they have a, uh, they're a person with a disability and they're not able to um, speak or they're not able to properly hear or whatever. And God in his mercy can and does save people in these, in these environments. So to me, like You're this- saying that people can't, that can't hear? <laughs> But, well, what I'm saying, no, but what, what I'm saying is yeah. Westminster 10.3 to me and, and very similar in London Baptist is one of the most comforting things about this doctrine yes. because it's not about, you don't have to be this cerebral, like Eric called us the frontal cortex Calvinist and, you know, have a degree <laughs> in theology and, you know, have this big dramatic conversion. Though, obviously in our normative Christian experience, yes, we want to be seeking repentance. Yes, this, but at the same time, God's grace can reach even to those who the world writes off, even to those who we as Christians may sinfully write off and say, I don't know if that person really understands what, you know, they're here in the church, but I don't know, do they really understand what's happening? Or, you know, very young children who die in infancy uh, and never had a, you know, never made a public profession were never baptized. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like these kinds of things, yet God in his grace can save even people that from a worldly and, and ordinary means standpoint, we would say, oh, well, they're not, you know, they don't fit the, I, I, mm-hmm. I can't see the outward working. And yet God's yeah. grace can penetrate even that. And that like, I'm getting yeah. a little emotional thinking about that because it's so beautiful. It, it can penetrate that. It will penetrate that. Mm-hmm. God will not fail to give it to those whom he has unconditionally elected. And, and yeah. as uh, Justin brought up this, this ties into everything that came before it in the acrostic. It's, mm-hmm. it's a nece- it follows necessarily. And, and it's not just a logical necessity, but it's also, we see it in scripture. And I think I, we'll yeah. jump into that in just a sec. But I mean, if, mm-hmm. if God decides to 
unconditionally elect someone. And I encourage anybody who hasn't go back and listen to the earlier episodes of this because this does build on that. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody is truly, totally depraved, as we all are, as we discussed, if God has elected that depraved person, but that depraved person cannot turn to him, yet God wishes to save that person, mm-hmm. God must give them a grace that that is effectual, that will do exactly what he purposes it to do, and it will be something that they can't resist. Right, because dead as enemies man of can't God, we do, do anything. <laughs> right, as enemies of God, as totally depraved people, we will want to resist that grace. Yeah. If we could, but we can't, the Holy Spirit comes and he makes yeah. a home in our heart, whether mm. we want to or not. And then we are joyful that he did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And mm. yeah, I think, I mean, we have uh, just a number of different passages here that I think bear a lot of this out. You have Ezekiel mm-hmm. eleven nineteen, God speaking, and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. Mm-hmm. It's God saying he, not us, he will do something. will mean mm-hmm. he will perfectly accomplish it. You know, that yeah. we cannot thwart that. Ezekiel 36, 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgment judgments and do them. Um, mm-hmm. And the Lord, Deuteronomy 36, 30, yeah. uh, verse 6, not 36, 30, <laughs> verse 6, and the Lord thy God will circumcise thy... Man, Blake, this King James Version, man, come on, man. Why am I reading these notes, man? And Whoops. the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love thy Lord, uh, to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. These mm. are things that are works of God that, that God does to our heart without our permission, and he does them because he elected us and we need him to do it for us. If he desires to save us, we cannot do it ourselves, but it's a work of grace that we can't resist. John uh, 6 verse 37, all that the father give, giveth me shall cometh to me and him that cometh to me, I in no wiseth, wiseth will cast out. Is, is that what it said? Did I read that right? <laughs> and him that cometh to me, does I will Mike no Tyson wise cast out. the Bible? Yeah, I don't know. It's King James, right? <laughs> Philippians 2.13. Sorry, guys, I'm stealing all your thunder. For no. it is God which worketh in you, both mm. to will and to do his, to do of his good pleasure. This is the work of God. Well, right, and it's, yeah. I mean, look at that verse, right? It's God who works mm. in you, right? So he's He's doing something, you know, in, things are happening in you, but God's doing them. Uh, and it's to will and to do of his good pleasure. So it starts with God, it ends with God, it's in the middle with God, and we just sort of get caught up in it. And that's really the point, right, of this whole thing is it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working together in harmony and, and in unity to save a people. Um, well, right. It's God's inter, mm-hmm. interposition to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, yeah. right? It, it, this is why we sing amazing grace, mm-hmm. right? It meets our hopeless uh impotence uh if you will you know uh the gospel being sovereign mercy that's given Mm -hmm. to us right uh the only hope for evangelism uh when as christians speaking to 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 lost souls is if the grace that goes out is effectual and actually Mm -hmm. does its job and the only way that it can do that is if god is sovereign over the sinner who hates him Mm -hmm. right that it's it's the only way that 
that it works. The lost are born of the Spirit, and the fruit uh, is is holiness and and righteousness, and then everlasting life with Him. Uh, but that's only attainable if God acts. Um, I loved when you were reading those scriptures because it was God this, God this. He causes yeah. us to do this. Mm-hmm. He he's constantly intervening yeah. in our will. Well, and most of that to those that that say that Calvinism is some anachronism of Calvin or Augustine or even Paul, like there's a lot like. This is Ezekiel, Deuteronomy, John, like not really quoting Paul, Paul too heavily. I mean, there, there is some Paul, but, uh, and then like Second yeah. uh, Timothy 1, uh, 8 and 9, therefore do not, I went, I went to the ESV, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our <laughs> Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in his suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and mm-hmm. called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because mm-hmm. of his own purpose and grace, which he gave to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So, yeah. again, it, it's monergism. It's one yes. working. It's God working. Yes. And we just get to be along for the ride. And yes, as we'll talk about next week, that doesn't mean that we don't have anything that we do in response, but it means the actual effect of salvation and the security of salvation rests not in the believer, but in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It, and you're, I was just going to say that like it is, it's monergism. Go back, mm-hmm. everyone listen back to the T and the U and the L before this. You cannot talk about the I about irresistible mm-hmm. grace or, or argue the point with somebody without by necessity getting into these other points. They're all so mm-hmm. connected. And I think that's why it's important that the grace that we're talking about that needs to be remembered is this saving grace, this work of God, this decisive, unequivocal mm. uh, work of God that cannot be resisted because it is a, it's, it's what saves us. It's God's regeneration, our faith as a response to our new will, and God's justifying us because of that faith. It's all wrapped up in this one saving mm. grace that he gives to us. And the prevenient grace that many Arminians want to talk about other than I've not, not, not seen it in scripture. It, it makes it a, a synergistic effort because yeah. God gives everyone a measure of grace, a grace that brings them back to um, uh, square one, so to speak. It brings them back to the state Adam was in essentially. And then men have to make the decision themselves and they have to do something and the grace we're talking about is all of God. It is mm-hmm. all grace and it is monergistic and it, it it's not about us having an advantage over anybody mm-hmm. or us being smarter than somebody or right. um, we didn't do anything. When, when all said and done, when we're before the great throne of God, we won't look back and think, man, I am so glad I accepted. I'm so glad I prayed that prayer and I accepted Jesus into my heart. I'm so glad I chose <laughs> Christ, yeah. mm-hmm. there won't be that. It will be just the most overwhelming sense of gratitude and thankfulness and yeah. joy at the work of God that he did yeah. something yeah. that we didn't deserve. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like we touched on this a little bit last week mm-hmm. um, when we were going through several of the verses um, because really it's unavoidable. Uh, in many ways, like especially when we touched on John six, right? Yeah, um, we talked about uh, in John six forty four when it says, "No one can come to me." No one can come to me. Okay, so no right. nobody can come to me. Well, and, and 
I mean, we hit this before, but I'm going to hit it again because it's important to remember Jesus isn't saying no one may, like no one has permission. He's saying no one can. No one has the ability. Right. Right. You don't we, have the right. ability to come to me. We are, unless, we are morally incapable, right? Unless, right. unless necessary condition. The Father, God, <laughs> draws, or as we talked about uh, more specifically, drags. <laughs> he, he drags us to himself. Mm. And I will raise him up on the last day. Um, and then it goes on, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father, which we talked about again last week comes to me. So everyone who hears, who actually hears God speaking Mm. because of this grace that he's given to you, (laughs) you actually hear him and you do definitely and will respond to that. Not that anyone who has seen the father except who is uh, from God, he has truly seen the Father, truly, truly seen you. Whoever believes has eternal life. So yeah. we we see pretty much pretty much all of Tulip there. But um yeah. man, it's 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 so abundantly obvious. Uh mm. if you if you if you read that in or out of context, I, I don't know how you screw that up. <laughs> you know, well, well, but Justin, he draws me, you know, he's he's it's my heart was gently warmed. He was wooing me. He was knocking yeah. on the door. Woo, woo. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure he knocked the door down and dragged me out of the house that was burning down. Yeah, That's no, what it happened. It was already yeah. burnt down. Yeah, you're right. Because I'm dead. Ash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I also, it, yeah, go yeah. ahead. No, I was just going to say, God Smokier doesn't. Smokier than this Lagavulin. <laughs> God doesn't win over our heart. He doesn't woo our heart. Mm-hmm. He gives us a new heart without mm-hmm. us asking. Mm-hmm. Yep. He causes us to repent. Well, and that's what Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 12, right? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the very depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. It's all of grace. Mm. That's the, that's the whole point. Mm. And that's what, unfortunately, because some people get very excited about the doctrines of grace, they forget that they're the doctrines of grace, not the doctrines of being a jerk <laughs> on the internet. And, um, what? And it's unfortunate because they are genuinely beautiful, beautiful doctrines that should afford the Christian the deepest comfort. And yet so often we uh, who get excited about it become abrasive to our brothers and sisters online and in person. And we fail to recognize that the whole point is not to sound smarter or to win arguments. The point is to glorify Christ. Like that's the that's the, the center of, of this. Um, yeah. And if we miss that, then we're missing like like you said, Justin, or quoted, I, I don't remember who you were quoting, but it was, if you don't understand the doctrines of grace, or if you don't understand, like, to be gracious, then you don't understand the doctrines of grace. Oh, yeah, if, if you're arrogant about the <laughs> yeah, doctrines yeah. of grace, you don't understand yeah, the yeah. doctrines of grace. I think it was Matt Chandler. It sounds very Actually. Chandler-ish. Um, but yeah, I mean, we could even come right back to Romans nine fourteen, like you were quoting earlier, right? What should we say then? Is there injustice in God's part, which we unequivocally have said week after week, by no means, right? Just with Paul, there's no injustice in God. For he says to Moses, Who are you, oh I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God 
who has mercy. Well, it's it's even in the question that Paul anticipates, <laughs> right? right? Who yeah. can resist his will? Mm. He's made it clear that you can't resist his will, yeah. but that's irrelevant to mm-hmm. to to whether or not you're guilty before mm-hmm. God or not. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's it's in the question and the answer that Paul gives that God is sovereign over even our wills. Well, it reminds me of God's answer to Job in the 38th chapter when he speaks out of the whirlwind uh, yeah, to the man oh and his gosh, suffering. Yeah. And Job feels very vindicated. He's like, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I haven't looked at, I haven't even looked at a young woman. Like I've been upright. I've been moral. I have served you. I've honored you. I have done everything. God, you owe me an answer. Why is this happening? And the Lord answers Job. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? It's like, can you imagine God intervening and, and, and just saying that to you? Uh, And then this one in verse 40, which is what reminds me of Paul's exhortation there too. Uh, So he's got, the Lord is speaking to Job for two chapters, and he says, Shall the fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. So, I mean, when we start to put ourselves into this play, the place of questioning the sovereignty of God and God's providence and God's wisdom and counsel and decisions in how he chooses to govern the world, we ought to, we would do well to remember Paul's exhortation in Romans 9 and to go and read Job 38 through 40 and to remember that this God that we serve is a consuming fire, that he is the almighty, the sovereign, the omnipotent, the all-powerful one. Are we, the fault finder, going to contend with the almighty God? Are we going to argue and answer him? And I like Job says, Job does the right thing. I'm of small account. What shall I say to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once. I will not answer twice, but proceed no further. But God's not done with him. Dress for a man. Dress like dress for action like a man, and I will question you. Uh, will you put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be right? And then he goes into the next <laughs> thing about God's glory and majesty. And that's the thing that we need to remember. This is the God we're talking about. We're not talking about our buddy. We're not talking about <laughs> our like pal. He's a friend of mine. Right, like, and and then we can talk about the beauty of the incarnation when we get to Christology and how we have this beautiful union of the full humanity and the full deity. But at the same time, we need to remember that God is holy, that he is sovereign, and that we have no right. Shall the thing molded say to its molder, why have you made me this way? Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? And so that's my my reminder to myself as we kind of wrap up this discussion on irresistible grace. It's mysterious. It's difficult in many ways, but at the same time, it's simple. It's there. It's just difficult for us to accept in our in our hearts because we we want to participate. We want to do things, but who are we to contend with the Almighty God? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You guys have any f- closing thoughts as we <laughs> roll down here? Just that, just that I'm going to have that song stuck in my head the rest of the night. Yeah. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Jesus is a friend of mine. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's hard to follow up whenever Blake gets yeah. into his deep, like, uh, yeah. reading voice. Well, yeah. I mean, he read from Job. We can't yeah. follow that up. Yeah. I mean, he just like closed with God's words to Job at the end of that book. I mean, that's, Where there's a reason that the book pretty much ends with those words. Yeah. I think yeah. that's kind of where the podcast needs to end. So. Now you're right. So Justin, what are we talking about next week? Uh, we are going to finish up the tulip series. 
with the big letter P, Perseverance of the Saints. Oh. Can you lose your salvation, Blake? <sighs> Tune in next week to find out. You won't believe what happens next. Uh, and we're going to be sipping yet another Lagavulin. Eric, which one are we ah! sipping next week? <laughs> that, probably, that noise that I just made is horrible for whoever's listening. I'm sorry about that. It's supposed to be an excited a noise of elation of, yay, we get to sip Lagavulin Distillers Edition next Ooh. week. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm very excited. The Distillers Edition is really unique. It's yeah. uh, it's just like we, we just keep getting richer and richer with this. And, and, and I feel that way as we go deeper into Tulip. As we continue on, you know where else you can get some really rich wait, theology to reflect wait, on? Oh, <laughs> wait. If you guys want to sip Distiller's Edition along with us, you can't do it in a DT glass oh. yet, but <laughs> you can get yourself a Distilling Theology mug at shopdistillingtheology.com with some great bobbing quotes but, on but them. seriously, don't drink <laughs> wow. you know, Distiller's you can Edition out of a mug. Seriously, don't do that. Please I mean, don't. You can, Please don't. You. That would be. But don't tell me about it. I agree. Uh, that was that was condemned as uh, heresy at the Second Council of Isla. So uh, don't do that. Um, and also, if you want to get another mug, we have uh, exclusive patron mugs available at our Patreon. You can go to patreon.com/slash/distillingtheology. You'll get live streamed episodes as they're early released, exclusive bonus content, extended conversations. Join us at $4.99 per month. Get all that. $14.99 per month. Get you that exclusive mug after three months, plus some extra content we're working on. Super exciting times. And uh, where else can people connect with us and get updates and get in touch and all that jazz? Listen, if you guys want to hang out with us, quite literally, but not really. Socially, though. <laughs> Already quite, and not uh, yet. Quite literally, figuratively. <laughs> Quite literally, figuratively. So you're Join us on Facebook. You can uh, like our page, Distilling Theology, and then join our Facebook group, Distilling Theology, where you can uh, interact with us and many other wonderful, awesome, godly, God-fearing, smart, whiskey-loving people. Uh, it's it's a it's a great it's a great group. Um, we have a lot of fun there. Also, check us out on Instagram uh, at Distilling Theology, where you can see some of the best pictures. Books and theology uh, and whiskey. <laughs> yeah, pictures of theology and whiskey um, <laughs> uh, that you will find on the internet. So join us there, please. Mm. Or don't. I mean, you don't have to. Well, so. uh, this is this is one of those uh, places where you can actually freely act within your nature to not yeah. join us on Instagram. <laughs> but please don't do that. That. That is a hard sell, Justin. You are a good salesman. You got oh, this. And we're also going to try and sales uh, the fact that we are still proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. This is a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective, including Assurance of Pardon, The Bobcast, Christ in Context, Fast God Stuff, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Sipping on Theology, and the Steady Anchor Podcast. You can get an endless flow of doxological, theologically sound and interesting podcast content if you go to reformedpodcasts.com subscribe to the mega feed and you will literally have an endless flow and it is wonderful and delightful i cannot keep up with all the shows but i try my best highly recommended uh interesting voices interesting theology all of that good jazz uh so gentlemen whatever you do whether you eat or drink drink <laughs> <laughs> uh do all to the glory of god Soli Soli Deo, Deo Gloria. Gloria. <laughs>
Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Distilling Theology. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording with our friend Eric. Here's a sneak preview of our extended conversation, which is available in full exclusively at patreon.com slash distilling theology. Every time I record with you guys, it's always mm-hmm. been so encouraging. You know, it's you guys, Same. but it's it's the topics too. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. studying God's irresistible grace, um, what he did for me, what he did for all of us, what he did for every person that he elected, um, that we don't deserve. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't do anything about it. We couldn't resist it. He, he did it. It was, it was a gift that we didn't even know we needed. And he gave it to us, and <laughs> yeah. my goodness, like it was, it's just so encouraging. It, it just um, something that it's a bummer I don't dwell on these truths as often as I should. You know, yeah, same. Yeah. So, yeah, man, this should be such a source of comfort and encouragement to us, and instead we run around on the internet like a bunch of jerks, and and it's like, guys, no, 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 like let's. <laughs> Let's fly this back like, you know, three months when you didn't know what Calvinism was. Yeah. And yeah. it's literally just a summation. It's just like putting language around the the doctrines that make up the gospel. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And oh, it's so comforting. 